so glad you guys are here. This is something new for us in a lot of ways here at Salem Alliance to be having a workshop about sexuality, women and their sexuality. Um, I got volunteered for this somehow, and I'm actually, I am great with that. I, this is a converse, these are conversations I have with people regularly, so it doesn't really freak me out um, too much. Um, let me tell you, I mean, I don't really need to tell you too much about who I am. Um, I am a marriage and family therapist. I have a private practice here in Salem. I've been um, doing that work for 15 years now. And I do marriage counseling, I do family counseling, I do mostly just a ton of individual counseling, honestly. Um, I, obviously I do a lot of couples, but I do, I'd say I'm like 70% um, working with individuals. And probably 50% of that is women. And um, usually throughout the course of our conversations of working with my clients, the topic of sex will come up um, at some point. Um, whether it has to do with um, historical part of people's lives or whether it's a present-day issue, um, thoughts, questions, um, struggles. So it's something that I'm um, really used to having um, in just kind of my everyday conversation with women. So I think it's really important that we're dedicating a workshop um, to this topic. Again, it's something that's kind of new to be doing here in the church, and I'm wondering if any of you um, could not tell your personal struggles, don't worry. It's not going to be that kind of audience participation. But I'm wondering if you guys, um, wh why do you think that it doesn't get a lot of airtime um, or attention in the church, the idea or the topic of sexuality, specifically as it relates to women? Any thoughts on that? Why we... Uncomfortable? Yeah, for sure. Bring it up. So it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that sometimes um, there's maybe a, a thought out there that women really aren't interested in that, that we're living in the Victorian era, she said. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Totally. Good. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and also that purity is such a big deal until you're married and then <sighs> Yes. Totally yes. That can mess people up. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yes, to do it in an honoring way, totally. I even feel the pressure of that up here, like, okay, like, be honest and be real, but also be honoring and respectful. Like, not everyone has the same comfort level around these topics. I get that. So I know it's uncomfortable um, from, you know, my own experience. Um, there's been uncomfortable things in my own life related to sex and um, topics related. Also, in talking with my clients, I am well aware that this is something that, honestly, the majority of us have struggles with in our life. Um, and it doesn't have to be something as, um, it, anyway, let me just keep going. I'm going to get ahead of myself. I can already feel it. Um, I also know that we kind of tend to give it a lack of airtime in our own lives and probably for very similar reasons. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. Um, 
But what I want to kind of underscore here to start with is that um, God designed us clearly. He designed us. He designed us spiritual. He designed us as physical. Um, he designed us to be intellectual, relational, um, emotional. Um, but also he designed us to be sexual. And we give a lot of attention to these other facets of our life, our physical life. Are we going to exercise? Are we going to eat right? When we're sick, are we going to go to the doctor? Our relationships, So we put in our time and our attention? Do we read books about how to help our relationships? Um, our minds, we do studying and we go to school, maybe we go to college and engage in a profession to expand that aspect of ourselves. Um, the emotional, a lot of people come to me because they're working through emotional stuff and they're going to give that attention and try and get healthier in those types of ways. But he also made us sexual. And he speaks to that in Genesis. Um, it's really his first command to us as humans, and that is to go forth, multiply, and fill the earth. So he very much made us to be sexual beings as well, and connected with that is something really fantastic, which is this element of pleasure, but there's also a lot that can get messed up um, through the years of our lives and, and different things. So it is something that warrants time, attention, focus, like we would any other aspect of our being, and to be the fullest of who he designed us to be, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, and also it's not wrong to pursue that in the sexual realm. In fact, I think that's honoring of how he created us. So let me give you a history of this here footlocker. That's a, technically what this is called. I remember my mom saying, when you go to college, you need a footlocker. Why do you need a footlocker? I don't know, but I got pink, of course. Um, thank goodness it came in pink. Um, so I've had this thing since college, and the last house I lived in, um, this baby was down in the basement for 10 years. Um, when we moved in that house, I put this in the basement. Whatever was inside of it stayed inside of it. The only time I ever accessed this was 10 years later when we moved to the next house, in which it went straight to the basement of that house. Um, so it's been in the basement, it's had, it's been closed up tight, it's had things stacked on top of it, and the basement is where the laundry gets done and the lawnmower hangs out and all of that kind of stuff, and it's just not really part of our everyday life. It's not anything I see on a regular basis. The lights are usually off down there and it's pretty inaccessible. So what I want to kind of talk about is that I think the majority of us women keep our sexuality, our thoughts, our history, our concerns, our fears, our struggles, our issues, our temptations, our confusion, our pain, everything that kind of goes along with our individual sexuality, I think we keep locked down in a storage box like this. And while there is an appropriateness to kind of keeping our sexuality contained, because there is some discretion around it. It is a private and a personal thing, and it's not something we show everybody all the time. Um, and it is worth protecting, so it, there is an appropriateness of keeping it contained and safe. Um, I think what we tend to do is engage these latches and send it way down deep into the basement, away from everything, closed off, protected, kind of inaccessible to the rest of our lives. It's not something we normally talk about. It's not something, maybe we think about it, um, but it's not something we really engage with 
um, on a regular basis. It's not something that's like up in the living area of our home. Things can get stacked up on top of it. We know what that looks like. Life has a lot of busyness and demands and other things that feel like priorities and have a sense of urgency to them, and those things get stacked on top of this. So then kind of the more of that stuff that exists, the harder it is to even kind of get to that place, or the less you maybe are even aware of it or feel it. So we might be willing to maybe admit that we have stuff around um, our sexuality, but we keep it locked down and hidden away. I also want to say that there is good things about our sexuality that could be in that box that we keep kind of hidden away, like our desires, our pleasures, our likes, our hopes, our dreams. We can keep those kind of locked down in too. So it's not just all the like hard and challenge and struggle and difficult. We kind of keep, we can tend to kind of keep all of it in that place. So I've worked with hundreds of women over the past 15 years, and I have lots of girlfriends who are women, obviously, and I am a woman, obviously, and I can say absolutely for sure that we all struggle in this way at some point in our life. So it may be that you're struggling with something today that's more of like a seasonal thing, low desire, fatigue, low energy, not really interested. Maybe it's something historical from your past, a past history of abuse, things that have happened. Um, what else might be in this box? Things like your actions, your choices, your decisions. Could be stuff around premarital sex or infidelity or pornography. Could be your own history. Like I said, stuff that has happened to you that's been traumatic or that has happened to you that's been unwanted. Um, the wounds or actions of other people um, that have been betrayal or cheating or their use of pornography and all the pain that's associated with that kind of gets stuck in that box. Maybe it's your experience of sex. Maybe you find sex to be sort of unfulfilling. Uh, maybe your body is unresponsive. You hear it's really supposed to be like this great thing and you're like, what? <laughs> I'm not really getting that. Um, a lack of desire and maybe again that's seasonal. You've got small kids, you work late nights, you just, you know, when you hardly have time to eat during the day or you haven't blow dried your hair in six months, you're usually not thinking about sex, right? I know that goes hand in hand for me, the blow drying <laughs> and the, just kidding. I'm, I just, I just made that up. You guys know all about that hair dryer I just bought too. Oh, you guys are connecting the dots. So we talked about that last time. Do not correlate those two things. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, maybe it's unmet expectations that you, you know, prior to marriage you hear you're supposed to stay pure, stay pure, stay pure, stay pure, because this sex thing is going to just be, um, it's wildfire. And if you do it outside of marriage, it's just not okay. And you get there and you're like, what? This was that? This is the thing I would, you know, so it's that, that, you know, unmet expectation or the unfulfilled expectation, and then what do you do with that? goes in the box. Maybe you are single and unsure of what to do with the very real sexual feelings and desires that you have. I've worked with um, a gal that is newly single and knows the goodness of a sexual relationship, and now she is single, and she's like, what do I do with this part of my life now? It's a really valid question, a very understandable question, a place of um, struggle. And thank goodness she's not putting it in the box. We're talking about it. 
Maybe it is stuff from your thought life um, that runs rampant. Maybe there's fantasies, there's images in your head. Um, maybe you're flirting with someone kind of inappropriately in that way or seeking attention in that way, kind of provocatively or dabbling in areas that are risky or maybe full on swimming in those issues. And those kind of go in the box and head down to the basement. And like I said, there could be very good things in this box too. Hopes, desires, um, the things we like, our ideas about sex, but it's uncomfortable to talk about, or who do we talk about that with, or I'm kind of just trying to get the word on the street, what's that, what's that? So we just kind of put it in the box. So these are the types of things that we keep in the trunk, and then we lock down and we relegate to the basement. And then there's these two sturdy latches. So this latch over here, is our emotions, our feelings, that keep this thing sealed tight. We have all sorts of feelings that keep the contents of the storage box locked down and tight. Feelings like embarrassment, shame, hopelessness. We're afraid or we're scared of what's inside of that box, the magnitude of the pain, um, the level of discouragement that could be there. Maybe there's even apathy or indifference at this point. Like, it's been like this for so long. Like, how would it ever even be different? That's a latch that's keeping the stuff inside. Maybe it's fatigue. Life is busy. <laughs> we are run ragged. And that's a real feeling that we feel is fatigue. And that keeps the stuff inside contained as well. Maybe it's discouragement. You've tried things, you've tried to talk to people, you've tried to mention it, or you hear other people and all their experiences are just totally the opposite. And so that discouragement just keeps your stuff inside. And maybe it's disappointment, just straight up, time and time again, feeling like this place in this area of your life is, is, is failing. And then there is this other latch that keeps this box closed that contains our stuff related to our sexuality, and this is our beliefs. We have some pretty powerful and strong beliefs that keep this stuff contained. Beliefs that it'll always be like this, that it could never change or never even possibly get better, that it's too late. I mean, this has been going on for this amount of time, like it's too late for this to be any different. That I'm destined to have it be like this because of what happened to me. That's a pretty strong belief that keeps stuff locked inside. That this is kind of my destiny. I was abused. These traumatic things happened to me, so I'm, I don't, it's not gonna ever be good for me that this is my punishment. I've done these things. I've acted in ways I shouldn't, or I've made choices that were unhealthy. Like, this is my punishment. Sex is not gonna be healthy, good. I shouldn't expect that. This is my punishment. That this is normal. And actually, there's a double-edged sword to the normalizing. So we can come into this room and just say, okay, We've all struggled. And there's something that's like, oh, good. 
because I don't have to now pretend like I've never struggled and my sex life is like always up here and it's amazing and it's fulfilling and it's great and I don't have anything bad to say. Like it's great to that we can all just say, hey, <laughs> I've struggled with this and that's great. But then there's that like apathy. Well, this is normal. So this is how it's going to be. And see, look, we've all struggled. It's just all, you know, so that it can produce kind of an apathy um, and a belief that, well, this is normal. I shouldn't really expect any different. There's also this thought that it'll just work itself out. There's this belief that, oh, this will just work itself out. If people, if I told people about this, they would think I'm crazy or fill in some other word, inappropriate word, um, that maybe that this is beyond hope keeps it locked in. And that fear, like, what would somebody think of me if I told them this? So those emotions, those feelings and beliefs keep whatever that stuff is for us locked inside here. And then we shove it down and push it down to the basement. So what do you suppose happens to our stuff when it gets shut in here and locked up tight and put down in the basement? Well, I can tell you that anything that's in here and locked down in my basement, 10 years later when I open it up, is going to be in a very similar condition, if not worse, than the 10 years prior when I put it in there. So if I put a puzzle in there of questions, and, or I, had, I just had a puzzle in there and it was undone, 10 years later I'd open that up and the puzzle would still be in the pieces and be undone. Um, if I had a whole bunch of questions in there, I'd open it up 10 years later or however year, many years later and the questions would still be there unanswered. Something being broken isn't magically going to open up and 10 years later going to be fixed. Wounds that have been shoved somewhere and unattended to aren't going to be healed. Even if you put something alive in here, like a plant, and you close it down and deprive it of light and never take a look at it, you open that up 10 years later, that sucker is going to be dead. I can tell you that I had perfectly good towels in there 10 years later. I was like, wow, my towels from college, how great. Um, but 10 years later, they had suffered. They had suffered. They stunk because this thing is like some kind of compressed fake wood, and you open it up, and everything smells like fake wood. And they needed some washings to be able to get some life back and to get that smell out of them. So even something that was perfectly normal that was in here 10 years later was worse for the wear. So now this is the part where we have to kind of get brave and courageous. We have all of this stuff, and I know you've got your stuff, and I'm hoping that as we're talking and thinking and I'm kind of putting ideas out there, stuff's coming into your awareness of what's your stuff related um, to sexuality. Your thoughts, your hurts, um, your experiences, your emotions that keep it in, your fears, your beliefs that keep it locked down. So the part where we get courageous, we have to hold all of this stuff about our sexuality, the contents of our storage trunk, the thoughts, the feelings, over here on this hand, and then we need to remember some really, really critical things about God. So what do we know about God? We know that he is motivated by love for us. He is motivated by love for us. He is not motivated by 
punishment. He is not motivated to instill fear. He is motivated by love for us. And he is motivated by love for us so much that he came that we would not just have life, but that we would have life to the full. Okay, that's John 10.10. 10. And I'm going to read a couple versions of this. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. And then another version is the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Another version says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's part staying the same, isn't it? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now that's kind of mind-blowing and feels a little inappropriate, if I'm honest, to add that to our, to overlay that over our sexuality. But I believe we can take the liberty to do that because God made us spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, intellectual, and sexual. He created us, so he came that we would have life to the full, a sexual life to the full. I think we can say that. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, applying that to our sexuality. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, applying that to this area of sexuality. I don't think we need to make prescriptions over what that looks like abundantly. Oh, does that mean increased frequency? Satisfying, does that mean more fulfillment? I mean, we want to make those conclusions, but I think we do a disservice to God by saying what he's meaning here is this exact outcome. But I think we can take him at his word and trust that he will lead us to an outcome that is exactly as he's saying, rich, full, satisfying, abundant whatever that looks like, and that may look very different for each and every one of you here in this room, just as your sexuality and your struggles, your issues, your questions are all very different. So his love, what I get stoked about when I hear about God is about the really great things that he does. I love who he is, but I am into his big works. They are thrilling, they're mind-blowing, they inspire me, they make me want that for my life. So his greatest works motivated by love for us, salvation, clearly. We get to, he saved us from a life apart from him. We get to live as his and with him forever. Salvation, greatest work. Resurrection, dead things brought to life. Redemption, Broken things, fixed. Healing, sick things, wounded things, brought back to health. Restoration, transformation, rescue, deliverance. Health, making beauty from ashes, making all things new. These are the things that our God does. We've seen evidence of it in scripture. We see and hear evidence of it in other people's lives. We've hopefully experienced some of these things in our own life, that these are God's greatest works. So 
we can bring all of this truth about who God is and what he, he, these things that are motivated by love. His salvation, his resurrection, his redemption, his healing, his restoration. And we can bring all of this truth and all of the possibility and overlay that on top of our sexuality. Yes, these things do apply to our sexuality. And it's not just true for Bible times. And it's not just true for everyone else except for you. These truths don't just apply to kind of the safe and the polite parts of life. He doesn't just seek to transform us spiritually. And he isn't all just about healing us relationally. He's about that over this aspect of our lives too. God and his power is available to change, heal, transform, redeem, deliver, save, rescue, forgive, and make new and beautiful your deepest, darkest, dirtiest, most hidden, shameful, fearful, embarrassing, discouraging, traumatic stuff that's locked down in there. So, in this equation of being made new, there's two parts. We have our part, and there's God's part. So our part, the first thing that we need to do is we got to haul this thing up out of the basement and bring it into the living room. What that equates to is acknowledge this area of your life, bring it up into the realm of the rest of your life. The other things that you kind of think about, pray about, talk about, seek him for, bring it up into that realm. The next thing we have to do is lift these latches. So we have to be willing to push through these emotions, these strong, strong emotions, the fear, the hopelessness, the discouragement, the disappointment, and trust that God is safe and that he has good for you believing that he desires to heal you and transform you to redeem this and to restore this. And that means, too, we got to lift this latch of these beliefs. And you, I just made that sound like really easy. All you got to do is push through the feelings and uh, stop believing what you've been believing all these years. Isn't that awesome when a counselor gets up here and is like, it's that easy. It's not. And this is where you probably need to ask for some help. If it was easy to lift the latches, you would have done it a long time ago, right? <laughs> if this was easy to kind of get through, you would have by now. You're smart. You're capable. Um, you might need some help, and I know that's scary. I get that. I have a sweet, sweet gal who's come to see me for a really long time, and one of the first times she came to see me, she told me, we need to talk about this. And she tries to fill up the space every time so we don't have to talk about this until finally, however many months later, she's like, I think we need to talk about this now. It's hard, even when you're like seeing a professional or talking to someone that is supposed to be safe. This stuff is tough to do. I get that. So maybe it's talking with a counselor Maybe it's being willing to ask somebody 
who feels safe to you to pray for you about this and about what you need to do around this, this very first, these very first steps. Maybe it's about saying, I'm going to read that book that I've had on the shelf for so long that I'm so angry at the title at, I don't even want to open it. But maybe you're like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look at that. Or I'm going to talk to my spouse, my partner about that. I'm going to talk to a close friend and just say, hey, I'm struggling and I just feel like I need to tell you that. I need some accountability here to help me with this. So our part, haul up the trunk from the basement, lift the latches, because if we don't lift those latches, I don't know how this thing's going to get open. And then we need to expose. I wish I had something really cool in here to show you. I don't. You're like, what's going to pop out? Nothing, it's empty. Smells, stinks. Um, so we need to expose what's inside. To God, through prayer, talking, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's going to the counselor, maybe it's talking to a spouse, a good friend. We've got to open up and expose what's inside. And then there's God's part. So there's our part, which is hard and heavy lifting. And then there's God's part. The first thing that he will do is that he will meet you. He will not say, wow, great, bye, glad you opened that up, see you later, I'm checking out now. He will meet you. He will not leave you alone. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or be terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. So God's part is A, he will meet you. Next, he will respond to you. He will not leave you hanging. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and he is our strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. So he is a present help. That's saying he will help you. He will help you. You find refuge in him. You bring your stuff to him. He will help you. There's another psalm that says, um, those who find refuge in him will not be condemned. And condemned is sentenced to death. So what you bring to him, you bring your stuff to him, he's not going to sentence that to death. He will lead you. Okay, so he will meet you. He will respond to you. Next, he will lead you and guide you on a path of making this new. He will. I know some of you are like, yeah, right. This is really old, really deep, really seems like, immovable, unchanging stuff. He will lead you and guide you on a path of making this new. Psalm 32, 8 says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. One of the versions says, I will counsel you. He will tell us, he will show us, he will lead us. 
So God's part, he will meet you, he will respond to you, and he will lead you and guide you down a path toward making this new. Every journey is different, you guys. Some people, for whatever you're struggling with, could go to a doctor, get on medication, and guess what? It's better. That does happen. There is medication for some things, and it's better, and that is fantastic, awesome, kind of a quick fix. For others of you, it's a process of counseling. And after one year of counseling, you might be 15% better than you were a year before. But you know what? That's 15% better. It's not stagnant, and it's not getting worse. It's out. It's open. There's all this possibility of who God is and what he has for you and wants for you able to be overlaid on top of all of this. So every journey is different. For some, doctors and medication. For others, it's counseling. For others, it's joining some kind of a group where there's processing and discussion around these things, reading a book, um, being open about this with a friend. Even people who struggle with the same issue, their journey might look different. You think, oh, I had a friend, and she just did this. I'm just going to do that, and then it didn't work. What does that mean? Everyone's journey, everyone's process in this way of being made new looks different, even if, even if your struggles are very similar. One thing I can say for sure is that God is not stagnant. So whatever you've got in this box, if it's stagnant, it's not being attended to, that's the definition of stagnant. It's in there, it's not being attended to. God is in no way, shape, or form stagnant. In fact, his very nature is life, and he desires um, to bring life to your sexuality. If you were at women's retreat this last year and I spoke, um, I did speak, not if I spoke, I did. Um, <laughs> there was the verse that I used there, and I absolutely love this verse. Isaiah 43, 19, he says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is saying this present tense, I am doing a new thing. You even coming here today and being willing to listen to a conversation about sexuality and being willing to engage with whatever it is inside of you that's a question or a concern or a struggle or a heartache or a heartbreak, that is doing a new thing. You did not do this yesterday. You did this today, and this is something that's new and different. What comes out of this, it's up to you and God and how he leads and how he guides, but even just coming and engaging in this way is you going down in your own heart and mind into your basement and bringing this thing up and saying, I'm going to engage with this for a minute. I'm going to process with this for a little bit. And that's progress. That's a new thing. And in, in that verse where he says, I'm making a way in the wilderness, which is really providing a roadmap out of a desert situation, he's providing a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, meaning he's bringing life, he's bringing water, he's bringing something refreshing and renewing to a land that is desolate and has nothing. And this is ancient Bible truth. 
And it still absolutely applies today that he is doing a new thing and it's springing up right now. So I have a couple of questions for you. Maybe you have something to write with. Maybe you just want to kind of think about these things. These are some questions for you that as you go on your way, and if you want to lean into this topic a little bit more, um, this would be a way to do that. So the questions are, what's inside your storage locker? The next question is, what are your latches, your feelings, and your beliefs? that keep the contents of this box locked down and sealed off. So really this is a question in examining your latches. Maybe you could just write a little note to yourself, do I need help with this part? And the third question is, if God really does make all things new, what would you ask him for as it relates to your sexuality? As you think about that last question, what would you ask him for? Would you remember that God brings dead things to life? Would you remember that he fixes things that are broken? Would you remember that he heals things that are sick, heals things, heals people, who are sick and wounded? Will you remember that he has the power to restore and transform, to rescue, to deliver? Would you remember that he makes beauty from ashes and remember that he makes all things new? I am going to pray for us. First of all, thank you for coming. And it's always a little weird when this is the first time this has ever come out of my mouth. I should have done it in front of the mirror or something, but that's not even real. So thank you for like being kind and um, engaged. And let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for how you create us, created us so completely. 
this concept of us being the fullness of um, who you created us to be, Lord, and how that absolutely extends to this area of our life, um, of our sexuality. Father, would you just give these women in here courage to linger in this place and around this topic um, a little bit longer? Would you bring them down to the places that you want to go with them, Lord? Would they feel you and experience you being part of that process that they can be bold and courageous? Lord, would they have the courage to trust and believe that you are who you say you are and that you do these things, Lord God, and that they would have the courage to submit um, these elements of their sexuality to you, Lord God, for healing. Thank you for being motivated by love for us. Thank you that you created us to live a full and satisfying life. May we taste that and feel that and experience that now more than ever. In Jesus' name, amen.